If you heat your home with firewood, then you've probably broken out your trusty old axe by now to get the wood pile in shape for this winter. But how much do you know about the history of axes? David Summerstein talked to the guy who wrote the book on the subject. Hear from him about the lore around his favorite blades on this edition of Story of the Day. Support for Story of the Day comes from the St. Lawrence County Community Development Program, now accepting applications for the Head Start program to prepare children ages 3 to 5 for school, online at slccdp.org slash head dash start. Hi, I'm Lucy Grindon, filling in for David Summerstein. It's Tuesday, November 21st. A Lafargeville woman has been arrested and charged with two counts of criminally negligent homicide after she crashed into an Amish buggy in September, killing two children. The Jefferson County Sheriff's Office says Charlene Kring was driving a pickup truck when she hit the buggy from behind in the town of Alexandria. The Sheriff's Office says distracted driving and speed were factors in the accident. Two adults and four children were in the buggy. A one-year-old and a three-year-old died, while the other children and parents were treated for injuries at Upstate Medical in Syracuse. Kring will be arraigned in a Jefferson County court next month. Ambulance companies in New York say a new law will help their struggling industry get the resources it needs to respond to emergencies. Karen DeWitt reports. The law will ensure that ambulance companies that transport a sick or injured person to a hospital will now be directly paid for that service from that person's insurance company. Jeffrey Call, who's chair of the state's United Ambulance Network, also heads Guilfoyle Ambulance Service in Watertown, New York. He says while that might seem like a small change, it will end millions of dollars in lost payments to ambulance services. Call says when someone who lives, say, in Albany gets sick in Buffalo or on Long Island and needs an ambulance, that service can be considered out of network by some insurance companies. When you call 911, there is no pre-screening for uh, what kind of insurance do you have or are you in or out of our network. But the ambulance companies still need to be paid for their services. Previously, the insurance company would mail the payment directly to the person who used the ambulance. And Call says often that money never made it to the ambulance company. For many, many years, uh, if you were out of network, uh, most private insurance companies would send the check to the patient or the customer. And in some cases, those checks got lost in the mail. In some cases, those checks got cashed and the bills didn't get paid. So what this law does is it makes the insurance company mail the check to the ambulance provider versus the patient. Call estimates the change will mean an additional $100,000 a year in payments to his company, which completes 12 to 15,000 service calls a year. He says the money is greatly needed at a time when volunteer ambulance companies are struggling to find enough drivers and EMTs to properly staff services. He says the ambulance companies would also be on better financial footing if the state's medical Medicaid reimbursement rates were higher. Call says the payments for services do not reflect what is known as the cost of readiness. Everybody always says, what does it cost to do an ambulance call? 
Um, it isn't the cost of what it takes to take that call right now. It's the cost for the last six hours the ambulance has been sitting idle waiting to take the call also plays into that. He says the ambulance companies plan to ask Governor Hochul and the state legislature for better Medicaid reimbursement rates in 2024. And he says companies are also lobbying the federal government for a better rate of reimbursement from Medicare. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Over the years, a professor at Paul Smith's college has collected about 200 axes. He even wrote a book on the subject. David Summerstein has this profile. Give me six hours to chop down a tree, and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. That's Abraham Lincoln. Here we go. Nice long stroke. And that's Brett McLeod in his shop in the basement of Paul Smith's college's forestry cabin doing what any wise woodchopper should do. We go from the heel of the axe to the toe, back and forth. He glides a sharpening stone gently along an axe blade. You can spend a lot of time chopping down a tree and doing it ineffectively and slowly, or you can spend a bit of time sharpening your axe and take down that tree uh, with relative ease. McLeod even owns what's known as a Lincoln axe from the early 1900s, as trustworthy as Honest Abe himself. It and the quote are featured in McLeod's book, American Axe, the tool that shaped a continent. At some point, McLeod says, we lost respect for the humble axe. We replaced the axes with uh, uh, power saws, chainsaws, and so the axe, uh, you know, became relegated to a spot in the corner of the garage and pulled out when you needed to hit something hard. As Paul Smith's professor of forestry, McLeod teaches all those ways to fell a tree, but it's the simple axe, a wedge with an edge, that's his passion. I started collecting axes when I was about five. My father had a had a side gig as an antique dealer, and so he was always scrounging through old barns and invariably there'd be an old axe head sticking out of the dirt and I started picking these up and cleaning them up and then learned uh, that they were not just uh, you know old hunks of metal but they had really interesting history behind them as well. McLeod's book is filled with that history and beautiful photographs of his collection from a time when people used axes for survival, for shelter, food, and work. Axes became status symbols, so you had sort of the Cadillac of axes, which would be something like a black raven axe with its embossing. That's on the cover of the book. Um, other axes were plain Jane, no markings whatsoever, purely utilitarian, and they were, of course, sort of the, the pickup truck of the, of the axe world meant to just, just get it done. He has a bow tie shaped Seeger chemical axe, perfect for throwing and stamped with its year of manufacture, so also perfect for collecting. Uh, Much as folks uh, do, uh, say, vertical collections of wine, where they try to collect every year, people will do vertical collections of Sager axes, trying to get every year from 1914 on up. And he has the more modern and vicious-looking Vermont racing axe, designed for competitive lumberjacking. An axe like this we might chop through, uh, say, a 12-inch log in... Uh, something like 20 to 30 seconds. Not out of breath. Just nice, easy swings. Outside, McLeod shows me proper chopping technique. 
Axes are no longer relegated to a corner of the garage. ESPN's Great Outdoor Games brings lumberjack sports to living rooms across the country. And urban axe throwing at bars is a thing. It sounds like a very American combination (laughs) to me. There's a chapter in McLeod's book about that, too. But it's the axes themselves and McLeod's passion for them that really stands out. How beautiful these really simple objects are. So we're surrounded by... Uh, all kinds of stuff, and it's easy to not just sort of, uh, you know, take the time to look at them, look at how they were made, look at the uh, the engravings or the etchings on them, and, uh, and really sort of uh, see where they fit into history. In agriculture, in housing, in papermaking, in sport, all made possible by a simple wedge with an edge. Good exercise. Yeah, it's good exercise. Yeah, I could do that all day long. I love it. David Summerstein, North Country Public Radio, Paul Smith College. You can see photos of Brett McLeod's axe collection and watch a video of McLeod teaching how to throw an axe at a target on our website. This story first aired in 2021. There's more news all the time at ncpr.org. Music today by I Am Snow Angel of Lake Placid and Dan Duggan of Lake Clear. I'm Lucy Grindon, North Country Public Radio.